Awesome, awesome. Good morning. Um, it's a privilege this morning to be able to to uh, talk to you all. It's nice to be back home. We uh, got uh, had a little trip, Stephanie and I, to California to move our in-laws out here. So uh, hopefully you get to meet them soon. But uh, we uh, drove back from California in three days, record time, and I never want to drive there again. But... I realized something that, that we were on our way back is that this is home. This is home for us now. So we're, we're from Missouri, so we're, we're here, and uh, it's, it's, it's awesome to be back with family. Um, the title of the message this morning uh, is Pole Position, Pole Position. Uh, Emmy, a uh, couple weeks ago, actually right before we were uh, leaving, was over the house, and she was telling us about her experience at the Indy 500, which I was really jealous about. So uh, the Indy 500 is one of the largest races in the world. There's like 300,000 people at a racetrack. It's nuts. It's berserk. People are parking on people's lawns. People are paying to park on somebody's lawn. It's nuts. What a spectacle. What a race. It's crazy. So I want to talk to you. I want to keep that theme going this morning. But in order to start the race, in order to be in the race, the Indy 500, you actually have to qualify. And qualifying in itself takes up a whole weekend. It's the weekend before the race. And the weekend before the big race, you, you're, you're qualifying, you're trying to have the fastest lap time so that you can make it to the big race. The thing about qualifying is that when you're qualifying, you're the only one on the track. There's nobody else around. When you're, when you're qualifying, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get to that pole position. Oh, look. <laughs> pole position, it means you start the race in first place. You get to start the race in first place. That means you get a little bit of a head start. Anyone ever likes to get a head start? I do that with my kids all the time. Hey, let's race. No. Well, I'll let you get a two-second head start. No, it's not enough. A three-second head start. No, not enough. Okay. Fine. I'll, I'll go. And then I still beat them. Pull position to start the race in first place. Point number one this morning is know your position. Know your position. I'm not talking about your title. I'm not talking about a resume. I'm not talking about where you sit on Sunday morning. I'm not talking about what your position is at work. I'm talking about where are you starting the race. And as a Christian, as as a believer in Jesus... We are in pole position. We get to start the race in first place. So where you are in your relationship with the Lord will determine your starting position. Let's look at this uh, passage of scripture here in Psalm 91. It says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. Where are you positioned 
this morning. He is my God, and I trust him, for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. Someone needs to grab a hold of this this morning, I think. Verse 4, it says, he will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Where are you positioned today? Verse 8, it says, just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, you will make the Most High your shelter. No evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Verse 14, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. What a position to be in this morning. Church, we have been positioned under the Most High if we have accepted Jesus. He and he alone is the one who places us in pole position. It's by his grace we are saved. A pastor spoke about it a couple weeks ago in Ephesians. And in Acts 15, 11, Peter emphasizes this point to the council in Jerusalem again. It's very simple. He puts it very plainly. He says, we believe that we are all saved in the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. But Joey, I, I don't qualify. You're right. Neither do I. I don't qualify either. I'm only in this position because he, Jesus, picked me out of the mess I had gotten myself in, placed me on solid ground right there in the front in pole position. Deuteronomy 28, 13 says, If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you will always be on top and never at the bottom. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know where you stand with the Lord. And sometimes we do a good job of making it harder than it has to be. But it's very simple. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can be in pole position today. Now, being in pole position, that doesn't mean that you'll never suffer. Doesn't mean you'll never get a flat tire. Never, doesn't mean that you'll never have to make a pit stop. And some of the saints said, amen. 
but it does mean that you get a head start. You are qualified. Know you are in pole position. Point number one, know your position. Point number two is run the race. Run your race. Run the race that God has given to you, has laid out for you. So now that we know what position we're starting the race in, we know that we've been qualified by him, not by us. We know that we not only qualified for the race, but we qualified in first place in pole position. It's time to start the race. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. When I read this, I picture all the saints mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and millions more who've gone on before us at a huge racetrack, way bigger than the one in Indy. I picture them all cheering us on. Church, run your race. I picture missionaries whose race was to take the gospel to other countries. And then they're next to, to Noah, who, whose race was to save mankind by building a boat. I, I picture my grandmother, whose race was to buy groceries for needy families, and nobody even knew about it until she died. I, I see Abraham and, and Sarah, whose race was to Build a race, a people. And I, I love how the writer of Hebrews puts this, hey, since we're all here, <laughs> let's run. Since we're all here, let's join the race. And let's not just join the race. Let's not just run the race that God has before us. Let's strip off everything that's holding us back. I mean, let's take out our phones out of our pocket. Come on. Let's take our wallet out roll up our jeans. Take off your high heels, ladies. Come on. We got a race to run. We have a race to run. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs. That's hard for me to say those two words next to each other, by the way. Everyone runs. I practiced so hard, and I still didn't really do it right. But only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize, hopefully the Stanley Cup, that will fade away. I said it. All right. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Train as you are in the race. How do we train? We get in the Word. We're racing. We're training every day. We're getting better. Pray. We pray. We pray. 
Maybe we, maybe today I don't pray. I, I didn't pray as much as I prayed yesterday, or maybe tomorrow I, I try to pray a, a little bit longer. I build, I build up endurance. But every day, as we're going, as we're going, as we're going, we're training ourselves, and we don't want to disqualify ourselves. I and. Some people think, well, disqualify yourself. Jesus put me in pole position, so how could I put myself out? It's very easy. It's when you veer out of your lane. It's when you join the race that's not the race that God's called you to. It's a different race. The only way we can disqualify ourselves is if we're the ones who do it. Because guess what? He's already qualified us. Look what Paul told the Galatians in, in Galatians 5, 7. He said, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? Come on. You guys were doing so good. You were in your lane. And what was happening is that Jews who were believers were preaching that if you, if you, in order to, to be saved, you had to believe in Jesus and you had to be circumcised to be saved. So they were putting it back to works. They were putting it back on you have to earn it. You see, that's not, race, that's not running the race by putting aside every weight and every distraction. Paul had to bring some correction to their direction and get them back in the right lane. Philippians 3 verse 12 says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. This is Paul again. Or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Man, Pastor, we could preach a whole message, a series on that verse. Is anyone here glad that Christ Jesus possessed you? He grabbed a hold of you? I think of it like, like a kid who, who's about to run into the, the parking lot or about to run in the street and, and a parent sees it out of the corner and just, nope. When I was about five or six years old, I went to a birthday party and there was a pinata there. Anybody ever been to a birthday party? How a piñata works is that all the kids line up. In the piñata, there is candy. In this particular piñata, I will never forget, there was Smarties, which at the time was my favorite candy. And all the kids line up, and they're going to hit, they have a big stick, and they're going to hit the piñata. Some of them are blindfolded. Usually the little ones aren't. And they're spun around, and then they get a chance to hit the piñata. Usually it starts with the smallest kids. And gets to the larger kids. And then whenever the candy breaks, you know, the piñata breaks, the candy falls. And it's a mad rush. And the place goes crazy. Mission accomplished. I got some candy. I don't know who invented that. Anyways. So this particular party that I was at had a really good piñata. You know how I know? It's because all the little kids had gone. And it had even, like, started to break. Good, good strong, sturdy piñata. So the first big kid steps up at this party. I'm five or six. I have my bag ready. And, dude, he, this kid starts wailing on this piñata. I'm telling you, like, he hits it and hits it and hits it. 
And it's a strong one, so only a couple of pieces of candy fall out. And me, in my infinite wisdom, as a five-year-old kid, saw the three pieces of candy, which happened to all be three Smarties. I still remember this. I don't remember anything else from my childhood, besides that there was three Smarties. And I just go for it. Little did I know that there was a big kid swinging a big stick over my head. Next thing I know, my dad tackles me to the ground, covers my head until somebody could grab the big stick from the big kid. That's what Jesus did for us. We press on in this race because he grabbed you to put you in pole position, but he didn't put you in pole position just to sit there. He put you in pole position to run the race. We continue on in verse 13. It says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. What's that last word? Us. Not just Paul. Not just the Philippian church. Not Joey, every single one of us, God is calling to run the race. So number one is know your position. Number two is run your race. Number three is don't race alone. Philippians 2.16 says, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. This verse gives us a great insight into Paul's heart for the Philippian church. He was saying, my race is useless if you don't race. My race is is useless if you quit your race. You see, part of running the race is bringing others to the track. Acts 20, 24 says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of God. Paul is speaking to the council in Jerusalem. What a racer. (laughs) I believe this isn't just Paul's race. There's been many martyrs in history that have been willing to lay down their lives in order to finish the race. I believe there are people in this room who are willing to do whatever it takes to finish the race, 
to run the race of testifying of the gospel of the grace of God. Number one, know your position. Number two, run your race. Number three, don't race alone. And number four, run the race out of love, not duty. Malachi likes to tell a joke. It's the only one he knows. So if he tells it to you later, just laugh at him. He thinks it's funny. I will share it with you. It's not long. Why did Superman flush the toilet? Because it was his duty. I don't know where he got it. But it's the only one he remembers. We try to teach us some new jokes, but we'll figure it out. We can't run the race out of duty because that takes us back to trying to earn God's grace through works. Let me say that sentence again because that's kind of the whole point of the message. So, We can't run the race out of duty because that takes us back to trying to earn God's grace through works. Uh, our text just a few minutes ago led us to Philippians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But I want to go back to a few verses before where we read and, and Look at what Paul was talking about before he wrote about running the race. So let's go to Philippians 3, verse 3. It says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. He's going back to address the issues that that church was having at that time. He, sa he says this. This is powerful, church. You've got you to you gotta get this. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. I could probably read that again. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Verse 4, though I could have, this is Paul talking, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, others have reason for confidence in their own efforts. I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, this is where it gets good, church. Verse 7, I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous by faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Mm. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. That verse doesn't usually preach so well these days. Verse 11, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Then he goes back in Philippians 3.12, like we read earlier. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, and he talks about pressing on in the race. We run this race by grace. We could even call it a grace race. Every step we run in this race is by his grace. Every lap we make is by his grace. Every righteous thing that we do, every right decision that we make is by his grace. He makes us righteous by faith in him. It's, it's not out of duty we run this race. It's out of love. Because he first loved us. See, I don't, we don't re- remain faithful to our husbands and wives just because it's our duty to do so. We do it because we love them. It's the same. We remain faithful to the Lord because, and we do the right things. We make the right decision. Sure, do we mess up? Yes. But we live right because we were saved by, from so much. By grace, by grace. You can't earn it. Let's go back. Uh, we, went, we were in 1 Corinthians 9.24. Let's go back to verse 19. Again, this is still Paul. It says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to that law, I did so so I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. When I am with Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I don't ignore the law of God. I love this. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything so I can save some. Verse 23, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Then he goes into, don't you realize that 
in a race, everyone runs. Paul would do whatever it took in order to bring somebody to Christ. Paul would try to find something in common with everybody. Really, when we talk about for the one, our, our, our theme, really, that's all we're doing. That's all we're doing. It's putting aside my opinion, my preferences, the things that I would rather do. Oh, you like that restaurant? Well, I, I don't really. It's vegan, eh. Who cares? Eat a salad. If it'll give me the opportunity to share Jesus with you. For the one is simply putting other people's preferences above my own. What a great way to run the race. When we run our race this way, our grace race, and we put others ahead of us, and we're running this race with passion, we're running this race with endurance, then we can be like Paul. Near the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. This morning I shared four points with you. We said, know your position. We said, run your race. We said, don't run alone. And we said, run with love, not out of duty.